This is season one, episode eight of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game, whether you're a game master or a player with advice, ideas, and cool stuff. Tonight's episode is spicing up your game with Savage Worlds or start being so dramatic. Task. All right, everyone. Hey, welcome to Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast, just like I said, where we focus on maximizing your game. Doesn't matter, game master, player, we got advice, ideas, cool stuff found, and some strong opinions. And we really hope people send in some email to game master at masteringtherpg.com. Yeah, Eric's waiting. I'm waiting. So uh, speaking of which, I'm Carl, and I have my co-host Eric here as always, but we're missing Hello. We're missing James. James has other engagements, but you know what? We pulled in a special guest uh, on the show tonight, Morgan. Hello. So tell you tell us a little bit about you, Morgan. Um, well, hi, I'm Morgan. Q. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I've been playing role playing games since I was a wee lass. Uh, I think I started, unfortunately, in D and D Fourth Edition, um, but I've since moved on to Shadowrun, uh, Fifth Edition, of course, some Pathfinder, like sprinkled in there, like little sprinkles. Um, and then most recently, I've been playing a lot of Savage Worlds with both Eric and Carl. So it's a fun time. I think uh, I have a lot of random experiences as a DM as well as a player. Yeah, we, we pulled John in to talk a little bit about, you know, you've come and started playing Savage Worlds. We're going to talk a lot about Savage Worlds, but let's get into the topic so we really understand what we're talking about. So. The, tonight we wanted to talk about how Savage Worlds rules, um, and Savage Worlds is a tabletop RPG for those who just don't know, but Savage Worlds has great mechanics, it has some very interesting stuff, and we were t- talking, uh, Eric and I, about, hey, let's share with, you know, since James is gone, let's share how we think the mechanics for this very game, very good game would do good um, in other systems and how it might apply. Um as always, we want to start with Cool Stuff Found. We have Cool Stuff Found. Do you copy? Cool Stuff Found. Over. All right, so tonight's Cool Stuff is me. I get to talk about, um, we're a few months out from Gen Con, but I thought I'd talk a little bit about some of the cool stuff I saw at Gen Con. Uh, one thing was this uh, company called Tabletop Warriors VR. And they literally had VR headsets that people would wear and interact with 3D tabletops. Um, pretty cool. I've been looking for their website. I don't know where they where they are, but um, couldn't find their website. Did you, did you get to try one on? Or I got to watch people because there was a line. There was a lot of people oh, there. Yeah. And so I got to watch. There was a, somebody who was playing the Game Master and was moving things around. And someone else had cards. And it was actually, I think they were a link to Tabletop Simulator. It was just now being able to do it oh, in the VR okay. space. So that was pretty cool, I thought. Um, also saw a company called Tinker Turf, which they had kind of cardboardish cutout sci-fi terrain. And what I really liked about it was, A, it was cardboard, so it was easy to put together and store. But it, they did a really nice job. The graphics on it were, they really felt sci-fi, and it was pretty cool. I liked that. And then um, Dice was big. You know, there was so many companies doing Kickstarters or were going to do Kickstarters related to Dice. Um, and most of them, you know, creative, really unique, unique looks. But they're like 80 bucks. Um, and I think folks are maybe familiar with Level Up Dice. They do stone dice, quartz, obsidian, semi-precious, but they're expensive. They're $100 or more. So I, <laughs> I'd be worried that the cat knocking the die under the couch and never find it again for my $100 set. That would be a, that would be a problem, I, I think. That would, be, uh, that would be a tough one. And then the last thing, which was really interesting, was eBay was there. And they were giving out an eBay board game based on eBay. Giving it out. What? Yeah. Um, I did not get one because I had four events I was running and the dealer hall at Gen Con is like huge. Um, so I never really got over to their booth until it was too late, but I guess you can find them on eBay now. <laughs> <laughs> I looked and they're there. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
Did you get to look at it at all? I mean, see a play. I mean, there is a lot of board games already that have like, you know, b- uh, bidding mechanics and um, things like that. What was it a, like an actual board or was it just cards? Like, what was the... it? It would look like it was a board game. They were they were playing on a board. Um, I only saw okay. it for like seconds because I had to I had to run and there was people all around. Um, so I, it's cool. I didn't get to play it. I really didn't get to do any demos um, this year in the hall, which is usually pretty fun to do. So uh, I guess I fell down on my uh, Gen Con um, reporter <laughs> role because I was running too many games. <laughs> yes, uh, we mentioned that in a previous uh, episode. I filmed a video at Gen Con for a new music video, and it's out now. Um, you can you can find it on the tabletoptango.com. You can get to our YouTube channel there, and you'll find that video is now out. Um, nice segue. What do you what do you my straight man there? Um, so that that's kind of what we found in Gen Con. Um, pretty there is a lot of stuff, but it's it's hard to even fathom how big Gen Con is as far as the dealer hall goes. There's really not a lot that compares to it outside of like the huge comic conventions, which then have comic book stuff and everything in their hall. This is all games and, and that sort of thing. Um, so can I, so, okay. So go, let's go back to tabletop warriors. Is it just a table? Like you buy the table and then you use whatever VR equipment you have and it's tabletop simulator. It's just a table. Like what I, are the, what, what is the, actually the product they're selling? Well, that, well, they're, I think they're selling the software. Um, because the headsets were okay. all, um, they all look like, um, the gear twos, the meta yeah, Oculus, whoever now gear twos. And it looked like it was software that they were selling. It didn't oh, look okay. exactly like tabletop simulator. Um, but it could be, that's why I was looking for their website. Um, it's tabletop warriors VR. And for some okay. reason I just couldn't find it. My Google foo was, was poor. So, um, they gave me a card. And just like many other times you come from Gen Con, you got a bunch of cards and somehow they disappear when you go through all your loot bags and pull out all the cool stuff you bought and you go, where did that card go from that company that sold that thing that I was hoping that I'd be able to talk to them after the convention? I'm really bad at, I'm really bad at conventions apparently. So, <laughs> well, you're, I mean, you're running games, so that's what you're focused on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was my, that was my primary worry. Cause I had two brand yeah. new Dragonlance games that I was running. So, um, new ones worry me usually. So. Uh, so with Tinker Turf, because I've seen before, there had there has been an, a lot of print your own train that you build up. Like that's not new. So what was new about this? Was it just that it was science fiction? Was it like an easier construction it, method? It, it looked to it's me home printer. I'm assuming, right? Uh, I mean, that, but there's already that. Well, like, I mean, I think terrain. I think they were they were selling the pieces, right? So they they make kits. Okay. Um, but it looked like it was really easy to put together. It, it was like okay. so just whip it up. Just fold it because a lot of the other ones I've seen before, you have to like, you know, you have to have like your cut, you have to have your like paper glue and like all that well, stuff. This, well, this, this looked kinda... like it was really more kind of slide it together. You know how pieces, uh, okay. you know, the old yeah, cardboard yeah, yeah. boxes kind of thing where they slide together the slots. Um, and that's what I thought was pretty cool was now it was most of the stuff was kind of boxy, right? And because of that, it wasn't, yeah. there wasn't a lot, I didn't see a lot of smooth curves or anything like that. Um, but that was, I liked the idea if you were into miniatures. Yeah, they have something that you can just pull out and slot together and it's easy, and then go. Yeah, it's yeah, easy. yeah. It's like sci-fi, you don't see a lot of sci-fi terrain because a lot of them are towards D and D. So you get a lot of cool taverns and uh, rustic marketplaces, but you don't get <laughs> yeah. the nice, cool sci-fi stackable, stackable cityscapes. Weird alien scapes. Yeah, me, me, and yeah. Carl actually did a whole episode about that. About fantasy is the easiest because there's so many resources you can't throw a stone without hitting a a, a medieval tavern or a a magical forest so that's a good point yeah yeah i think on uh reddit there's like a million if you just go to battle maps there's like a million taverns and a million fields and a million yeah there's just a ton of it so um all right well that's the cool stuff i thought that um i was i found so um Eric, do you want to run tonight's topic and take it away? All right. So uh, the main topic today, as we said before, is kind of importing Savage Worlds 
their narrative mechanics into whatever game you're doing to kind of up spice up your game. Um, a little background in this. So uh, because James wasn't here and he's does not really a big Savage Worlds player, I thought this might be a good idea. Me and Carl met playing Savage Worlds. We started a Savage Worlds uh, YouTube channel together. Um, and we were talking about this beforehand, but the, the one thing I played a lot of different RPGs, Carl and Morgan have also played a lot of different RPGs. The one thing I would say about Savage Worlds, besides kind of being that genreless, it's a genreless system, right? Or whatever settingless system. Like you can apply it to medieval, you fantasy, modern, whatever. It, it can apply to any type of, um, genre that you can think of. It's also very cinematic and it has the most kind of ancillary, systems in place to to accomplish that there's no other game that i've ever played that has so many different like distinct things are you know besides just like their skill and their combat system yes. savage worlds has that in spades like yeah, we're not going to even cover they've a got, lot of they've got a subsystems whole, yeah a whole bunch yeah. of subsystems that handle different situations different situations so that's why i think uh, and i've often played with people like i'll you know run a one shot or they join a friend's game with savage worlds and then when we go back and they're like a gm and they want they're playing D or pathfinder or whatever they're like oh i want to bring this system in or i want to try to bring this system in so i think there's stuff to learn here from savage worlds that you can apply to you know obviously 5e is going to be the big one but to really most games maybe not so much the like purely narrative games because it's not quite going to fit those, but for the more like, you know, D20 systems or the more mechanical or mixed systems, I think it'll apply. So at the top, I think we should start with the meta currency of Savage Worlds because Savage Worlds has the biggest meta currency out of any game I've played. And what we mean by that is kind of a, these, they, they have these different types of tokens. Um, uh, some, like an example of that in other games, I mean, D&D has inspiration not the bardic one the dungeon master it's a horrible naming convention um where you get to you know you get to spend it and you can reroll a die uh pathfinder 2e has hero uh tokens or whatever they're called that's basically the same thing um savage worlds has bennies which are like rerolls and they do a lot of other stuff too and uh the difference with savage worlds is they're they're much more generous you start with three and you give them out more and i think the thing to take out from here is that um, they're, you're encouraged to reward players for playing their flaws where most of the, most of these other games, it's only when you do like a really heroic moment. And so it's a really good way to kind of encourage players, you know, playing more, uh, interesting characters that are not so one dimensional, you know, Mary Sue's or whatever. Um, right. Wouldn't you guys agree that it's like, it's kind of, that that's the big draw I get at least for other games. Um, yes. like D D or something. Yeah. So the meta currency is spendable to allow you to do other things. And how you get the meta currency is generally the game master looks for interesting things somebody does, um, you know, good role playing or playing, as you say, the hindrances, which are those flaws that um, kind of define the character, right? So, you know, in Savage yeah. Worlds example are things like mean or loudmouth or... Um, curious. Curious. Yeah, one, curious is alcoholic. a classic one. Yeah. You know, quirk, you know, things that are make the character yeah. interesting. Um, and these bennies are spent to basically re-roll or do a bunch of things in the game where, like you mentioned, um, you know, maybe Morgan, uh, you played a lot of D&D. How do you how would you compare that to kind of the D&D way that Eric mentioned? It's I always coming because I also met Eric through Savage Worlds through a game that Carl DMs. Um, and so. What I've found is going from Savage Worlds to D&D, I get really frustrated as a DM trying to reward my players for role-playing. D&D doesn't really have required role-playing. You can make flaws and you can make a backstory, but there's nothing built in the system that says players need to role-play. So yeah. as a DM, I'm like, I want you to role-play. I want you to get to your character. I want you to, you know, do D&D and role-playing as I want you to, but I have no way of really giving them benefits but like a, a benny system would really help with that and giving like hey you did a really great thing in character by messing up this mission because that's what your character would do have this benny um and i also find in D, &D it's really hard when someone trips on their turn or they had a critical fail lower level characters just can't do anything <laughs> like a sorcerer says oh i'm gonna throw a spell attack oh i missed Okay, that's all I can do. Having bennies there for like Savage Worlds, if you, you know, if you're willing to spend them, 
being able to say, oh, I flubbed that roll. Let me just spend a Benny, be able to re-roll it and do something cool on my turn rather than just saying, oh, well, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I well, think that's really useful for Saturday. And, that, and that's, a good, that's a good segue, right? So that's the differences. So now, obviously, Savage Worlds mechanics, right, where, you know, for those not familiar, as you get more skills, you go from a D4 to a D6 to D8, and your target number is a 4. How do we now take this idea of Benny's, you know, this meta currency? What what does that do now in your D and D game? How do you apply it into the D and D world? Well, I mean, I mean, again, and we're not just talking about D and D, right? This is going to play or, or any some game. other so game. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think with Benny specifically, what we're going to take away from this is, and and the good, th- the really good thing about Benny's, and we're going to talk about conviction really quickly, is that there are many rewards. So these are just good ways to reward your players in between, you know, gear and like levels, right? And I think when we're going to talk about some of these other systems later, that you'll want to kind of incorporate that in some way because it's a really good way to reward players for doing things. So one of the things I would take away from this are, you know, if it, if they already have a system like Benny's, like in D&D has inspiration, hand them out more often, uh, hand them out for people playing their flaws, let the players know that they can get that. But, you know, you don't want them to go overboard. So like, you know, keep it in check. But if once in a while you play the flaw where it kind of messes with things because that's what would happen with your character, they should be rewarded for that. Um, also, it's a good way to give them, a, a, like, as, a, as, like I said, as like a prize or as a, as a reward for, for mm-hmm. doing something else. Like if they get to a, if they get to a certain point in the story where you're like, well, it's not quite a level up, but I, they did something good, then you could give them, you know, an extra re-roll or a, a conviction, which we'll talk about. Um, and so if your game doesn't have a re-roll system, you can always add that in. That's a really easy thing. You can call it whatever you want, call it a hero point, call it a Benny, but you know, a re-roll is going to be good for most things because most tabletop games have dies, right? To roll. Um, now conviction are, is like a, bonus system in Savage Worlds. It's not like core rules, but we usually play with it. It's basically an extra D6 um, any for any role that you want. So, and you can do it after you roll. Um, now, obviously, whatever game you're playing, it kind of depends, you know, what die you're using. So for D&D, a D6 would still be good or a D8, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or something like Shadowrun, right, which uses a lot of D6s. An extra D6, they can just, right? It, am I correct, Morgan? It's all D6s? Uh, yeah, Shadowrun, it's all D6. Or... Uh, Shadowrun, okay. um, I will say for Shadowrun, uh, I think Conviction is easily translatable to D&D with just, like, it's inspiration-esque. <laughs> like, you could help impose advantage or something. But with Shadowrun, they already kind of have a system, I believe it's edge Edges, so you spend a point at edge and you can re-roll failures or have your sixes explode so you can re-roll them more. Okay. So Shadowrun already kind of has a system like that. Um, but but a conviction would still be a gift, right? Like if it was like an extra D6 you could roll at any time, that would still yeah. be a bonus. I think an that's extra, not normal. An extra D6 that just isn't D6 or um, maybe Benny's would work better where you just say, hey, like if you... Fail, but not a critical fail. You can kind of just re-roll it. Yeah. Just try again. <laughs> so, yeah, one. So either one of these, depending on what game you're playing, is kind of a good way to reward creative role-playing, whether that be something heroic, whether it be something cool, whether that be a flaw, because that will be, you know, like we've talked about, you know, rewarding between levels, also for some of the other things we're going to talk about later on. Um, so, Carl, do you have any other thoughts on this? or? Um no, not not much beyond. Again, it's a meta currency, and for those, yeah. you know, we talked about it. And sometimes people don't really know what that is, but it's something that the player understands to spend to get something that's a mechanical advantage in the game. So, um, and that's what we're talking about: rewarding folks with something that's a mechanically advantage in the game, re-rolling whatever based on role playing, playing flaws, whatever, and giving them that opportunity to to affect it through that mechanism. Yeah. I, I would also say for the Bennies are, I would say work a lot differently than inspiration because inspiration, according to the rules, you can only have one at any time. Yeah. So at Bennies, we would have like a cache of maybe, I would say upwards of like maybe two or three at a time, depending on what your power level of your D and D session is. Um, and then they could use it, you know, as a reroll, I would say not to use it as an advantage because inspiration is already there. <laughs> Inspiration imposes advantage. Um, 
but having it just as a simple re-roll or some, maybe a reaction or something, I think would work really well as a reward yeah. currency. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not so to to make it generic, just have it be a re-roll, not specifically yeah. inspiration or. Again, so I think either one of those can both work as a reward. And have your player retain them. I mean, like, yeah. conviction kind of lasts until you want to use it in Savage Worlds. Um, and that, again, it'll be... It's just a good way to reward those things, and um, especially for some of the things we're going to talk about. So I think there's nothing else. We'll, we'll move on to dramatic tasks. Dramatic tasks. I think the one, the, the one kind of thing about Savage Worlds, whenever I play with people from other systems, this is the one thing that they that seems to resonate the most and that they want to incorporate that. And I know there, I think there is some rules going about this. I mean, Carl, you were even confused. You thought 5e had this like as a core rule and you called it what? A social, uh, it, it was called a skill challenge. challenge, a skill challenge. I've heard that term yeah. for something in D and D, but I don't think it's yeah, the same. Not really it's not quite a core. Same. Yeah, there's not really a core thing. So why don't, why don't you you want to explain really quickly sure. what a dramatic task is in Savage Worlds? So a dramatic task in Savage Worlds is a narrative abstraction of um, a complicated set of activities or something you're trying to do that has a um, a finite ending. Something can happen good. Something could happen bad. The classic example that they use in the book all the time is defusing a bomb. So you're yeah. using a set of skills over a set of rounds to defuse the bomb. If you fail and you don't get enough, you're you fail. Or that's if you don't get enough, you fail. Bomb goes off. Whatever. So what is the mechanics behind it? So the mechanics behind that is you're collecting tokens. So every success you have. On your turn, you get a token. If you get a raise, which we didn't talk a lot about, um, for those who don't play Savage Worlds, if you get, if your die gets to a certain level, you'll get a raise. Um, if you get higher than the target number you're going after by a certain amount, you'd get additional tokens. And the idea is, over a set of rounds or turns, all, you're trying to collect a set number of tokens, and that's it's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot here. Well, it makes it really, really cool. Yeah is that players have to, or they don't have to, but the expectation is players are going to narrate how they're using their skills to accomplish the task um, and role play out what they're trying to do. And that makes it interesting. Otherwise, it's just, you know, roll dice, collect tokens, right? Um, what fun is that? So it's cooler when, like, a, let's say you're, you know, trying to lay a, lay a mine on a bridge and you have to wire it up and just think about those war movies and everybody's trying to do their thing and oh i'm i'm strong so i'm going to you know use my athletics to carry the boxes across and if i get a success that brings us further along there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do there um so that's yeah. kind of the basics of a dramatic task in savage worlds yeah definitely specific with savage worlds i mean i think uh, a, a lot that some other examples. So, it, you know, again, Savage Rose is a very cinematic system. So anytime you could think of like a lot of montages or quick action scenes. So dramatic tasks are really good for things like heists, too, um, for things like having to get away from a situation uh, that's going down. I use dramatic tasks a lot for that in the recent game, the one shot that I ran for uh, the other group that Carl was in. I had it pretty much like a plane crashing. Um and another time of them getting away from a magical explosion kind of thing. And so you can you can ha kind of have it where each, you know, round something else is happening. And, and the big part about it for me is that it uh, you want to encourage your players to use different skills. And even different skills to each round. Um, uh, so now how do we apply this kind of universally? Uh, again, I think the thing here is, um, you know, if, if you have something that's not combat but is kind of tense... In some way, there's either a time limit or there's, you know, they're, they're trying to escape, you know, eminent doom or something. Um, uh, and this can be either pass fail, like a bomb is a good example of like either you defuse the bomb or you don't. Right. Um, maybe you kind of get away and you're just slightly injured, but most of the time it's a pass fail. Or there's times in Savage Worlds where it's, you know, depending how good the player's roles were, there's like a kind of a scale. There's a variable scale on success. Uh, but so universally to apply this, I think the good way is you want to set multiple stages. Three rounds to me, or three turns, whatever, is the minimum. You could always increase it to five. I think between three and five is kind of the best place. But just three or four, is kind of, you're, you're good with that. Um, and then have your players kind of, you know, you, you say what, you kind of narrate what's going on in each round, and then they kind of describe what skill they want to use. Now, as far as 
what's successful or not, that's really going to depend on what game you're playing. I think you a lot of times, if it's, you know, Savage Worlds has these things where you can have multiple successes, but a lot of games don't have that, right? D&D, you either succeed or you don't succeed. So kind of having it where, you know, if you say, well, if say if it's variable success, you would say, um, you know, if you fail every every round, the worst thing happens. If you If the majority of players succeed in only one round, then this happens. If the majority of players succeed in two or three, then it's better and better. So you can kind of play it where the group as a majority, like if the majority succeed versus fail, that would consider it a win for that round. Yeah, um, and I think most games could kind of uh, have that going. And, and I think that's the point. Is yeah. cool, the interesting thing about dramatic task, and I, I'm going to throw it over to Morgan to kind of talk how she might think about that in the games that she's played. But the thing about dramatic task is it's not tied really tightly to the mechanics. It's it's you succeed, you get tokens so any game that has a success mechanism which is pretty much all of them right you yeah. can play if i succeed at doing something whether it's a skill even an osr old school game i'm rolling one of my core attributes you know or something to see if i succeed and based on that i gather these these tokens i don't it, it's not tied that's a beautiful thing about this particular system it's not really tied to um the the way Savage Worlds works the at skill all. Skill rolling. Yeah, yeah. It's just so what do you what do you think um how you would apply that into some of the things you work on or you yeah. play? Um actually talking about like dramatic tasks, I kind of in general I've kind of implemented it. I'm doing a pirate campaign using the five E system, which is very difficult. Um just with the base rule set. And I really wanted my players to get a feel of sailing at sea. So I wanted to be like, okay, well, there's a big storm. It's a big etheric, uh, aether storm. There's lightning, there's fire. It's magical storm. What are you going to do? How are you going to sail through this? And I kind of tried to walk them through. I'm going to have to work on it because I really want it to be, okay, well, are you bending down the sails? Are you running to tie knots? Are you helping navigation? What, what are you doing? How are you? How are these skills being um, addressed? And what do you want to do at this point in time? And the dramatic, that's pretty much what a dramatic task is, is um, and how well they succeeded at those, I kind of tallied up how many successful skill checks they had and that that was added on to the main navigator's role. So the main navigator could steer or either around the storm or steer through it effectively. If they had failed, they would have gotten blown off course. And that's just kind of, I think, a really good application of a dramatic task, especially in D&D, is saying, okay, do you need to make a perception check to see if you can identify the swells in this dark, in the dark storm? Or can you give me a, like an alchemetics or a dexterity check to tie down the sails or a climbing check to figure out if you can roll up the sails in time. And so all of that kind of boiled down to a dramatic task because it wasn't combat. It wasn't a straight skill, a straight stealth mission or anything like that. It was really just, Hey, you're in the middle of a big storm. Uh, you're going down. What are you going to do? <laughs> so I feel like that was really a really great example of how to apply what a dramatic task is meant to do is kind of this cinematic moment of players figuring out what they are suited to, what their player, what their character is built for, and being cool. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, you want your characters to be cool and to do cool stuff. Whether that cool stuff is actually sad, like a sad story beat or not. But <laughs> you want your characters to do cool stuff. And I think dramatic tasks really help with that. Like, here's this goal strive <laughs> to get to that goal. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point because on the backs of being cool, the big thing with dramatic tasks is encouraging players to use different skills, and yeah. even different skills between rounds, to, and to make it creative. Like, mm -hmm. how can you like? I'm really good at persuasion, right? So how could or whatever yeah. diplomacy, whatever it is, uh, how could I apply that in this? Well, you could be like, well, I'm using in this round. You know, th there's a ship. Uh, breaking against this huge storm, they're like, I'm using persuasion to help everybody focus yeah. in this one round, right? Yeah. So it's being creative with the skills. Um, I, yeah, I really think yeah. dramatic tasks also help players figure out what their character's good at. Like, I have this habit of making not combat characters in Savage Worlds, and I don't think about it until I get into combat, and I'm like, oh, I don't have a gun skill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so having dramatic tasks really does help 
all of the characters in the party feel like they're a part of the scene, you don't really leave anyone behind in a dramatic task. It's really just, okay, That's what true, is yeah. your character doing? And you go around the table and talk about it. Be like, okay, well, all right, give me a persuasion check. Yeah, that works. Okay, cool. You've bolstered morale. They're doing cool stuff. <laughs> I think so, some of the other tricks, if we're talking again about how to apply it universally. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we said, there's multiple rounds. Um, you have some type of way you, you decide on success or fail. I think an easy way is just majority and if they whatever how many mid rounds uh as far as difficulty in savage worlds difficulty is based on um the amount of successes that are minimum required so like Mm -hmm. it's usually one per person if it's a normal one or two per person if it's uh, a little bit harder i think for most games though don't have variable success mechanics they have dcs for things so just having you know having an average DC for an average kind of task, having a harder yep. DC for each role, for each round, yeah. like keep it the same across the round. So if it's like a really, if you're like, this is going to be a really hard thing that you guys are doing that have a hard DC, doesn't matter what skill they're using, right? The DC is going to say that, but the DC is going to say the same. So even if they're using fighting or persuasion or repair, whatever it is and whatever system you're doing, having that DC say the same, but just that's how you're going to vary the difficulty. Um, and then one more thing I wanted to touch on, and then I'll throw it to you, Carl, too, to add on some stuff is that, in, in dramatic tasks, they have a thing called complications, which I think is really cool. Um, where in Savage Worlds, because initiative is based on cards, if you have a so you, you do do initiative uh, for dramatic tasks, and it's almost just for the the purpose of um, complications. So if you had a club on your card, that means you have a complication, which means you have a minus two to your role, like some type of malice. And if you fail, it's like an instant fail to the whole thing, or you can, you know. Th- I don't usually play it that way, but, but so how do we apply this generally? I think have your, if you wanted to add this in, you still have everybody roll initiative and you could decide like, well, okay, well, if people have below a five initiative, that means there's a complication. Um, also mm-hmm. you can just use cards, you know, pass. Most people have a deck of cards, pass cards out to everybody. And if they have a club, just call that a complication. It adds a little bit more spice and kind of, um, makes it more, you know, more intense. And then if somebody, so if somebody, when they get a complication, they can choose not to roll at all. And if they choose to roll, put some sort of malice, whether that's a minus two, whether that's disadvantage, say in 5e, Mm -hmm. some sort of malice. And then say if they fail the roll, either it's an instant fail or to be nicer, you could just say, okay, well, that's like going to take away success from somebody else. Or, you know, you you put some kind of fail state to make it more interesting. Because to me, complications really, really add that nail biting of, well, should I roll or not? And then, you know, it's round three. We don't have enough successes. I guess I have to roll and just hope it works. So, you know, can, can consider doing that anything else you would um add in carl as far as adding in complications or again just to, the the summarize the that's the parts of dramatic tasks that really are important to kind of bring forward to another game is as you mentioned there's a number of successes that you need to get over a set number of rounds your um how your skill system works and that was a great catch right um for D you're using um uh, DCs in Savage Worlds, the DC is always the same. So the number of tokens is what drives how many you need to assess. And maybe a D&D, it is the DC, but you just need one per person um, to, yeah. to get there. So, and then the complications, and, and I'm glad you touched on it. The complications are what makes it dramatic, right? So the dramatic task is all about, um, you know, diffusing the bomb and you know, just think about, you know, I use that as an example because that's the example in a book, but just think about that when you see it on TV, right? They're not just, oh, I walked in. First thing I do is I pull the wire out. Next thing I do is I cut the wire. Next thing I say is I do this. And boy, it wasn't that nice. No, there's always some some complication. You know, I, I, I just can't do it because, you know, I'm too shaky. Well, that's the complication with the club. You're getting a minus two because, you know, you're nervous now. What are you going to do? Well, I was, I was still going to use this skill to try to further along so dramatic tasks and and i think like you said rolling whatever your initiative system is poor initiative would probably be driving whether you have a complication again on a d20 five or below or whatever it is i think that might be uh, i mean that's when you or talk about cards it's a quarter right yeah. and the cards you have um you know 25% chance of potentially getting a club and i'm simplifying cuz there's jokers and stuff like that right but um you can do that same thing with whatever initiative system you have in your game. Or, you know, honestly, just use cards, 
right? Deal everybody yeah, a card, totally and if you get a club, yeah. you know, then you've got a complication, and still use your initiative system just the way it is, I would think. Yeah. I yeah. think one thing I'd add in um, that we might have glossed over is, like, during a dramatic task, the DM or the GM or whatever, whatever title suits you, goes around the table and be like, okay, well, you gotta, if this is D&D, like, okay, well, you got a 23, what is your character doing? Okay, what is your character doing? Like, you go around the table, like, and it's not, yeah. unless you have a complication, it's expected that every player will contribute each round in a special way, in a unique way. And I think that's kind of an important thing to remember is everyone is involved in this task. Um, and I think that's one of the beauties of the dramatic tasks. Yeah, I think if there's one thing you want to absolutely take away from Savage Worlds using your game, dramatic it's, task yeah. is the is I think the the winner of that competition. It's it's one of the best systems. And when I think about like times and games, I mean, in the one shot, I think the most exciting part of the whole game was that ending dramatic task, which was just insane. I mean, that was you guys barely got away, and it was you know the guy. It was down to one guy's role who was out of Benny's. He couldn't do any re-rolls. He had all these negatives and he pulled out the highest roll and you guys sailed out without anything going wrong. It was cra- It was like crazy. Everybody went fucking... Oh, sorry. Everybody went wild. I'll have to beep that out. Everybody went totally wild. So, and, my, and, my, um, and in my Gen Con game, we had very similar thing where they're kind of trying to get away from a green dragon and yeah. they needed one more token. The person who drew the card had a club. So they Ooh. were at a minus two. They needed a token. They couldn't pass. And this was, you know, the last thing to get away and fortunately rolled well, um, was able to to get that token. But that is the nail biter. It's like everybody was, you know, this was an in-person game, which is great at convention. Everybody was leaning over the table, right? A lot of people sit yeah. while they're playing, right? Everybody was kind of leaning over the table, looking at this person's die, waiting to see what they were going to roll. And that's what makes um, this me- mechanic so, so exciting is it really adds to the to the flavor and, and the excitement and again lets everybody participate whether they're combat effective or not they've got skills and those skills can be applied cool stuff very cool um so moving on we're gonna i, I threw in here social conflicts um so social conflicts are not just a normal you know you're rolling persuasion to kind of uh, uh manipulate someone or charm them whatever it's more about like a really intense social um uh, social uh, dilemma. And so it's it's basically a dramatic task for one person. I think why I put it here is that so you can kind of apply dramatic tasks, uh, the dramatic task system, but with social conflicts, there's usually, which makes it kind of fun, is that it's usually, um, there's usually somebody who's a, a pose role against them. So in case of this, like, and, and the, 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 the example they use in the book is like, you're in a court case or something, right? You're in some type of arbitration, uh, arbitration. So you're kind of giving your thing. And then there's the like, you know, person who's against you, the antagonist, who's kind of saying stuff against you. So then, it, then it's an opposed role. And, and um, it, yeah. Well, I was going to say, and, and it's a huge role playing system. I mean, you are literally, yes speaking to someone else um whether it's an np you know this npc trying to convince them and they're coming back with their own ideas and then that leads to and and different than dramatic tasks is uh, often it's just one skill right it's your persuasion or yeah, your, your persuasion. whatever your yeah. um face skill is in your system or intimidation something yeah, yeah yeah or intimidation if that's the route you're going um but it's 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 really it's a talky talk thing, and then it's an opposed role, whatever the opposed role in the system would be, um, and based on how successful you are over a set of rounds, tells you what kind of the result is. And you mentioned like the court case, if you argue your case and you do it better, if at some point you get enough successes over this other person's successes, yeah. right? Because it's uh, opposed, good things happen. You win the case, or maybe you. You know, convinced that the prosecution convinced them that they're wrong. <laughs> they drop the case right there and they go, Your Honor, yeah. this innocent man must go free. And gavel, go away. Okay. Gavel, gavel, gavel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in this one, it's definitely um, variable success. So if we use the example of the court case, like, 
you know, if, if, if it's three rounds and you won one round, then you'll get minor support from the king. Say say if it's a king and there's the vizier is arguing against you, uh, you'd get minor support from the king. But for if you won two rounds, you'd get better support. If you did three rounds, I mean, then the king is just like, you know, have you can marry my daughter, whatever. Like, it's full, full support. So that's the kind of good way to do it. I think with social conflicts, which make it a more different for dramatic tasks, is that you really want to reward... Um, role-playing well here so if you think the player who's doing this you know says a thing or like has knowledge about the vizier has knowledge about the king specifically that like you know was like oh like i you know you're they use an example of like the uh, other country maybe the king doesn't like and you kind of you know weave them in then as a gm you might give them a bonus if that's a plus to their role or advantage or something so you definitely want to reward the roles here for good role-playing because that's what this is right this is a very strict role-playing social kind of thing uh morgan have you ever considered using this for any of your other systems or could you see applying it i i haven't used it but i can definitely see we just in my the last session i had of my pirates campaign because it's the most recent um as also some one shots i've had a lot of persuasive argumentative sort of settings where like they need to go talk to the captain and say okay what are you doing we're concerned etc cetera, etc cetera. And all I was kind of, I was still like saying, okay, well, do persuasion. Okay, do persuasion. And I felt like it was really just kind of a pointless back and forth. Like, oh, you got a, a fail. All right. She doesn't believe you. Oh, you got a success. Okay. Now she believes you. I feel like having yeah. this social conflict gives it a nice gradient of, okay, well, you did well. And now I can give you a variable success or a flat out failure. Or I feel like it's a much better spectrum and the ability, a more believable, realistic social conflict <laughs> instead of just being like uh, hot and cold of an extended uh, negotiation session. It's like, okay, well, wrong yes yes no yes no no yes rather it's just okay well over the course of two hours you have achieved a net positive of three tokens here is your success <laughs> so yeah. it's it's much more realistic i would say is uh yeah i would say it's more realistic yeah yeah, and it may, and it gives persuasion. It gives those face characters like a tense situation where they're like, yeah. "This is really tense." And now, if you want to add one thing that Savage Worlds allows to do, or at least how we play it, Carl and I, um, when we run the games, is that we will allow other players to contribute in the way of supporting. Um, whether your system yes. has it in D and D, it might be the help action, but yeah. you can still let them roll. And this could be persuasion on their part. This could be where they use another skill, like they, you know, glare at somebody for intimidation, or they, you know, kind of if it's repairing, they, you know, they they kind of like do a little like toy that they made, a like clockwork toy to kind of. So whatever it is, you you can can allow one or two players, or one. Usually it's. I think how we do it, it's one player, a different player per round that can kind of help in some way. So in D&D, &D, you might be like, okay, this this player help them, so they give them advantage, right? Or you could give them a plus, like a numerical, you know, plus one, plus two. Whatever your system does, um, I think a re-roll or, uh, you know, two rolls or a numerical advantage is pr pretty much universal across any systems. Um, and Carl, so, so, anything you want to add here? Well, I, I did want to mention there is this... Um, Classic, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a conflict, but it's this classic debate for face characters and social skills. It's like, can somebody just yeah. come in and say, well, I'm not really a great role player. Can't I just roll my persuasion? Or somebody says, I'm a great role player. I shouldn't have to roll persuasion because, you know, just listen to the argument I made. I think social conflicts allows both of them to succeed. You can use yes. that role playing. And yeah, maybe you'll get a bonus. But in the end, you get to use that skill. Um, against the opponent in the way it's meant. So it's really nice that it blends the two and you don't have to you know, worry that you can talk a lot and it's great and you can get a bonus. But if you're not someone who feels comfortable doing a lot of role-playing talking, you still can get that role and it, it blends both of those. So it, that's one of the interesting things I take away from it um, when I'm yeah, leveraging social conflicts. Yeah, I, one of the great things about Savage Worlds is you can really play it as a gung-ho character, like someone who gets really deep into character, as well as um, a, someone who's a little bit more on the back foot. Like, I would like to explain what my character is doing, because I know what they would do, but I don't want to act it out. I think Savage Worlds really leaves space for both of those kind of characters to have fun in their own different ways and to get benefits in in different situations. So... 
yeah. having that moving yeah, the- into other systems is always really fun for me as a DM, being able to include a lot of players. That's a good point, um, you guys. Like, especially with if we're talking about you're taking the lead on one of these social conflicts, you don't necessarily, you know, as a player, you don't have to be the most charismatic person. And even if you're not, like, if you, you know, if somebody just, like I said, if somebody can just kind of, well, I say this, but then I bring this up where the, the, um, you know, we, we, we had seen the vizier like go into this place before. And so even if you're not like, you know, you're not using flowery language, just being kind of methodical with it, the DM would still, you still want to give you a bonus for that persuasion role. So you can play it, you know, as long as you're kind of being smart about it and maybe using stuff to give you an advantage, you don't have to be the most charismatic improver that there is. Um, cool. If there's anything else, we move on. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk let's, about with social conflict? Let's keep her going. Very, very cool. Now we're going to talk about interludes. And here is where the bennies and the conviction, those kind of mini rewards come in. And, uh, uh, who Morgan, you want to explain what an interlude is? You want to take it away? Uh, I'm going <laughs> to let the savage world's GM DM. Okay. <laughs> uh, Carl, why don't you explain what an interlude is? Well, well, an interlude is a a, a subsystem where uh, in certain so basically in a situation you're just basically asking players to narrate something interesting and you can use cards to do this. There's a bunch of stuff, but you're essentially you're saying during travel, let's explain you know what something interesting that happened in your past or a great success or it's essentially a prompting tool. Uh, for for role playing it's it's a prompt and in the book and yeah. the rules you know you draw cards and it can be you know about a track it can be about a success or a past something or, but that's beside the point what's really important is that it's the concept of it's a prompt that gets players to just explain something about their character or explain something about a great success or explain something about a great failure explain some how you met this person and and did something with them um, and what you get is this meta currency, right? That's the the, the takeaway reward. is you're yeah. rewarded for, you know, the, I guess, you know, being vulnerable as a player to the other players, being vulnerable with some role playing. And um, I don't know. I don't really don't think I really explained mechanics there, but I, I, the philosophy. I mean, there's not it, much mechanics there. I think you explained it pretty well. I mean. Uh, like you said, the the mechanical part of it is that there's a system where you pull a card and depending on the suit, that kind of may denote what and they, and they have like, you know, each suit has like travel pass and it kind of says, well, it's not that important. You could still use that, you know, in any game, right? It's just you're pulling a card to, to, to kind of give the, the players to kind of narrow it down. And it's not always about their past. Sometimes it's about like, well, explain something that happened in your travels. Um, just just now, like what what's something what's something that happened? It's it's more of a moment for role playing that breaks it up, and that's what pretty much everything we're talking about here is just a way to break up the normal flow of games and to make it more interesting. And Interludes does that really well. And like as you said, it's it's good for you know travels, and that's mostly we're gonna you're gonna do it. It's good for like downtime. So even if there's a downtime mechanic like Pathfinder, I play a lot of Pathfinder Two E. They have a whole big system about what you do on downtime. Um, but even if, even if you're having players, you know, what do you want to do in downtime? You can still say, Hey, uh, for a bet, you know, for a hero point, for a conviction, if you kind of steal that, um, does anybody want to do an interlude? So it's an optional thing you can throw to players and it definitely, you know, when you do the same thing over and over again, it gets stale. So it's a really good way to kind of mix it up as it were. Um, and it does also help with, you know, because often when we're, when we're we're playing these games, there's not usually natural times for us to go on and on about our backstory, unless you're in a really role-heavy group, right? So this is a really good way to, like, kind of shove that in there of, like, okay, why don't you, you know, why don't you tell a story about your, your background? Like, you guys are on the fire, you're trading war stories. So it's a really good way for also to encourage players to kind of expand upon their backstory. Uh, Morgan, what, what what is... I mean, you've done interview uh, interludes before. What do, you, what do you take away from it? Um, I was... I'm kind of one of the in-between characters where I have an idea of what I want my character to be. I have a rough backstory, but when I'm playing that character, that's when it actually gets fleshed out. (laughs) So I have, uh, in our current campaign, I kind of have a redneck sort of (laughs) down-to-earth kind of an idiot sort of mechanic sort of uh, character. And I think through the use of like interludes and just general story beats, I've been able to really nail down 
who he is and what he does just from like, oh, what are we doing at downtime? I don't know. Blaine's just fixing his truck. <laughs> so those kind of character moments. And as a player, I really like them because it allows me to be like, let me show you what I have spent a lot of time thinking about. It's he's like this character's been in my head for a few months. I want to show you what he can do. Um, as a DM, I have a hard time putting in downtime because in, especially like in D and D it's build an encounter, build some DC skill checks, make another encounter. Um, and so having, you know, interludes or social conflicts or any of that kind of stuff does break it up and make everyone pause and role play. <laughs> All right. Now you can go back to hitting people. Um, <laughs> having the toolkits to use that and be like, okay, well, we're doing an interlude. I know you guys don't want to do role playing, but here's kind of a structure, like here's a prompt and always like yeah. any way to get players to pause and kind of think about what, who they're playing, what characters they're doing is always fun. It's always fun to do. And it's, and you're like, and I'll give you inspiration. I'll yeah. give you conviction. Like, this is a really good way to get those things that players want. Characteristic. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and once they, you know, once people start role-playing more in your flesh, you'll see that it like, it, it just encourages role-playing in general. And once yeah. characters are more into their characters and other characters know what they're about. And again, it doesn't always have to be about their backstory. It can be. Uh, I mean, some of the examples they gave, I think, are like, you know, what happened on your travels? What's what's an obstacle that you guys overcame on these travels? But I think generally the backstory one or like a war story back in the day is the easiest one to kind of think of. Um, but I mean, you could just use the Savage Worlds mechanics. If you get the core book, you could pretty much rip that out and use yep. that for any system. Right. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have a deck of cards, which most people do. Yeah. Um, Carl, you want to talk at all more about that or? No, I, I think you hit that last. The last thing I wanted to mention is that very similar to when we talk about social conflicts, it's it's a system you can just pull right out, take a deck of cards. Um, it's it's very generic. It doesn't it doesn't rely on Savage Worlds um, resolution mechanics or anything like that. It's really something you can just pull and use uh, and take advantage of, and you can tweak it. Right. So if you don't like something that happened in the travels, you could put something in that's more similar to, you know, like character aspects from fate or something like that, that says, you know, describe when you guys were together and, you know, did a heist or something. Okay. Well, yeah. that, that, that fits and you can, you can play around with that. But again, it's right. Just take it out, plop it in, use it and uh, throw whatever meta currency or whatever benefits your game allows. I want to, kind of add a little quick note i know for D, &D maybe for pathfinder there are resources that say oh well during travel roll a d100 and pick out or make a random encounter i think those are great uh but i think interludes really gives you like a nice structure of saying okay well we can randomize it in some special ways some different ways and really it's the reward aspect of getting your players engaged and then rewarding that um, yeah, which I think is is maybe a little bit different than other online supplements to random encounters. Good stuff. Cool. Good stuff. Very cool. Uh, okay, and then moving on to our last one, perhaps um, we might have a little bit extra time, but uh, the next one is quick encounters. Um, now, quick encounters are uh, I, it's like almost not even a system to make it more narrative. It's just there to you know, there's something that's happening, but you don't want to spend, it's like not worth spending all the time of doing a full encounter on, right? I mean, it's obvious, it's in the name, Quick Encounters. Now, this can be anything. This can be what you would do as for a dramatic task. This could be what you would do for combat. This could be what you would do um, for some type of travel exploration encounter. Quick Encounters can be used for anything, and that's what's really cool about them. Um, it uh, Generally, uh, in for Savage Worlds, the rules go is where the GM just kind of describes what's happening. The players kind of then all you know get together and they say, okay, what you know, what's your general plan here, and then and then you kind of go from there, um, and then uh, basically they each just say one skill, um, and if they roll 
if they succeed, you know, and you can kind of like, again, universally, if, if more people succeed than not, you could say, oh, you guys did a good job. It can be variable, like how dramatic tasks are, but it, it's just one role. Um, there can be modifiers, so you can kind of make it, you know, either a harder DC or a lower DC if you're using DCs, or you can add, you know, plus one to the roles or minuses to the roles. If, say, you know, if this is a traveling encounter and they have equipment for traveling, right, then you would give them a bonus for that. If they're just out of supplies completely, then you they would give some type of negatives. So there's can kind of conditionals based on what's going on and um and then they kind of roll and now in in savage worlds there's a thing of well if they if they just if they succeed then they you know they succeed but they they get bumps and bruises and they have to roll another thing to um basically so they don't become fatigued um you could kind of apply that with uh, other games of being like um you know well, if you get this DC, you succeed. If you get a higher DC, then you're totally out of the blue. And then maybe it's a saving throw if they do a bad job. And then they have, you know, they take some HP damage, right? If they have an HP pool or they, whatever whatever kind of malice that's kind of a semi-permanent thing can apply. Um, I mean, you do quick encounters a lot. I mean, there's some other rules there, Carl. Do you want to add on about like stage encounters or anything else here? Well, I, I think the... You said it did a good job of explaining the basics, but the, the, the kind of the key takeaway is where dramatic tasks are multiple things over multiple rounds to get to a quick encounters are all about defining a situation. Um, it could be like a heist, a whole heist, getting ready for a heist yeah. could be considered a quick, a quick encounter. A whole combat could be a quick encounter. Yeah. If it's not important, right? You know, that that's always talk about in D D. Sometimes, you know, you're slogging through opponents. You could do a quick encounter to get through the yeah. the you know, the non-important stuff. And I use those in on Savage Worlds for convention events all the time. We're running out of time, let's do some quick encounters. But the point of a quick encounter is everybody defines kind of how they're going to help with success. And it can be um, I think it can be in a dangerous encounter. It can be a non-dangerous, a non-lethal, like the heist one. And there's a single role that defines success, failure, ultimate success. And that's where it's different than dramatic tasks. What's cool, though, is it does have, like like you mentioned, this. you come out the other side of this encounter with something. In, in Savage Worlds, if you do poorly on a lethal, you're going to have some wounds, which is, you know like hit points, but not like hit points. If you succeed, basically, you know, there might, you might be bumped and bruised, like Eric said, but in another game, um, you know, you may have some disadvantage going forward for a little while. Um, and non-lethal encounters, you succeed. It, it works out fabulously. If you don't, there could be consequences like, um, you know, you, everybody knows that you screwed up. Like if you're, you know, gem thieves, now everybody knows you're crappy gem thieves and something happens um, with respect to your, your level of um, future work or something along those lines. But the bottom line is it's a single role that kind of defines the overall. So you come in one side, you get everything set up and you come out the other side and it just, it's fast. The whole point is single roles to figure out what happens in a complex set of environments. I mean, it's not, I'm opening the door, okay, I roll a die. That's not a quick encounter, right? A quick encounter is a series of steps that have to all come together, whether it was a huge combat, whether it, whatever, and you come out of the other side with a single roll and some set of consequences or what the success meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you, you kind of touched on it. d and I, I always hesitate to do combat encounters because they take so long. <laughs> no matter yeah. how small I make them, no matter how easy I try to make them, no matter how much I just murk things just randomly. Because I'm like, okay, he's got two health points left. He's dead. Um, encounters always take a long time. <laughs> and I feel like yes. if it really doesn't matter, uh, I don't think I'd personally use it in my pirates campaign, for example, because the whole point is they're going around and being pirates. So there's going to be a lot of combat. And it doesn't matter if the combat is important or not. They're pirates. They're going to go pirate. Um, but if it's like a side of the road encounter, if you're traveling in D&D or Pathfinder or Savage Worlds, um, and you're traveling and you want something like just quick, uh, come out of it with a, maybe a little fatigue for D&D or some, uh, some hit points lost for Shadowrun, some body points. I think a quick encounter can really easily apply to that because it's you still get the stakes of you've been ambushed by kobolds 
what do you do? Um, but you don't get the hours and hours invested, maybe not hours and hours, but like several, possibly several hours invested into these kobolds that are like just hanging out and want to fight you. A quick encounter can kind of be like, yeah, on the way to your city of choice, you encounter this group. Uh, what are you going to do? Maybe what's some tactics? Do a roll and kind of figure it out that way. Or if there's other things, maybe uh, you could do like a shopping trip as a quick encounter. Because my shopping trips for my characters, they're always like five different people on five different directions. Yeah, going Having, to all the different stores and yeah, talking to each NPC. And yeah, it's like, okay, and they're like, the is session. there a magic yeah. shop? And I'll be like, I don't know. I didn't really plan that. Yeah, sure, there's a magic shop. Okay, I want a ring. It's like, okay, well, I didn't necessarily think that far in advance, but having a quick encounter <laughs> can allow that to be like, okay, you did well on the roll. You all find at least half of what you were looking for and you pay at market price. And if they do really well, maybe they got a discount. Um, so you can kind of make it that way if you really want to cut shopping trips down, but you still want them. <laughs> and they're kind of important, but also they're just so tedious sometimes. <laughs> and I, 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 yep. I really, it was an amazing, I just came to me when you were talking about like the COBOL. Um, sometimes things like combat or, you know, trying to trying to do something is part of what defines uh i'm trying to think how to say it but like there's a big bad out in the distance you expect to run into minions as you get closer and closer but you don't necessarily want to fight every one of those battles right so that's where a quick encounter helps it gives you that same tension it's not like well i just walked up to the, the big bad's castle and now i got the one big encounter but you don't have to waste time on it you just get the feel and it can waste resources, right? I mean, that's, you that's know, you exactly should. what I was going to bring up. It, it, it should, it should, especially if it's a lethal encounter or combat, you should have them use resources. And again, they, they their role for the queen counter be like, I use my spellcasting role, but have them use some type of spell slot, like depending on right. what, how yeah. much they succeeded, right? They might use only a level one, but if they really did well, maybe they, you know, they don't use it at all. Or if they did poorly, they use a level three or have them use arrows up, right? Because yeah. it's. You know, to me, in a lot of games, combat after combat gets pretty monotonous, especially if it's not uh, a combat that has narrative weight to it, doesn't really matter, it's kind of a throwaway, or if it's just there to drain your resources, you can really use quick encounters to drain resources, but not have to spend the hour on, you know, something that you know everybody's going to win, like it's not a challenge, but it's just there to kind of, you know, drag out, you know, this is a, you're, you're encountering all these different things, right? It's it's yeah. it's mostly narrative at that point, so that's why quick encounters is a really good thing to draw from. And it's just good if, if your players decide to do something Thing and you're like, well, I didn't want to, you know, I don't want to spend, it's the end of the session, but I don't want to spend all this time uh, going at it and having it bleed into the next session because we had this other thing planned, then it might be a good thing just to throw a quick encounter for whatever yeah. it is, right? Not just combat. So um, it's a really good tool in the toolbox to kind of to kind of think about it that way that you can condense, you know, things that might take hours down into a single roll and then just have consequences based on, you know, whatever you've decided is a, a failed success or, a, you know, a really good success. And yeah. something like Pathfinder 2E, it's easy because they have a, a critical success mechanic of 10 plus whatever the success is. So that's easy. For something like D&D, you could have a, say, normal success DC and a, you know, whatever, you know, perfect DC that's higher, yeah. right? So that's kind of how I'd play it there. And so there's a lot of different ways you can do it depending on your system. Yeah, and resources don't have to be spell points. Um, take the way if they if you had like level twelve characters and they all each of them have three health potions. That's oh, yeah. a good way of saying oh, oh you lost some really health, he's lost some health potions. Yeah. Or if you're I'm very bad at world economies. Um, <laughs> if I just say hey I'm just going to be using the dungeon master's guide to economies and you've kind of fubbed it up so they have so much gold. You're going to be like, okay, well, you failed on your market trip. You get half of what you want, but you paid double for it. <laughs> so you're still draining, draining those resources. So you can keep the challenge going without uh, dr droning on like I'm doing right now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's the consequences of the time invested, basically. Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, I, was there anything else? Or I think we've pretty much... Yeah, there is there is so much yeah. cool stuff in Savage Worlds, the game. Yes, but um, <laughs> these are some of the more, these are some yeah. of the subsystems that really make sense to bring into other 
other systems. But really, you should just play Savage Worlds and save yourself from having to <laughs> having to take them over. But well, anyway, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, some of the other I get, ones I get, like so. there's a there's a chase mechanic in Savage World. There's a mass battles. There's networking. I mean, most of those though are kind of those ones are generally covered or chases are just it'd be too hard to to um kind of cover that in this episode. Yeah. But so yeah, overall again, you know, all of these things are meant to diversify the kind of flow of game and to like as Morgan pointed out a lot of times is kind of to bring the spotlight to players that might not always get it. Yeah. Um and to really kind of, you know, most of these things kind of incorporate everything and and really do switch up the flow, which to me just then makes combat more satisfying because you haven't just done the same thing, right? Variety is the spice of life. And so hopefully you can kind of use some of the things from here to, to kind of add that to your game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also might think we're talking about Savage Worlds right now, but being a DM, if you're experimenting in different different systems and you have a play group, my, the reason why I keep playing D&D even though I w- would rather play Savage Worlds sometimes with my playgroups, is that no one really wants to learn Savage Worlds. Um, and if they're all stuck in 5e or Pathfinder, or maybe they're stuck in Savage Worlds and you want to sprinkle in some 5e action or something like that, being you know flexible and like, hey, hey guys, I played this and this aspect is really cool. I want to see if I can see how it works in this system. Being able to, you know, as a DM, flex and kind of, bring in different things and doing some homebrew maybe i think that's always like the spice of life for dming and seeing what works sounds good all right well i want to thank uh my co-host eric and our special guest morgan for uh, being here today it was a <laughs> lots of clapping so anyway thanks everyone for tuning in i hope you got something out of it remember to stop by masteringtherpg.com that's all one word masteringtherpg.com uh, to learn about all our projects what we're working on um, get a list of all the old old uh, episodes uh, links to the podcasts catchers of your choice all that good stuff um, if you like the show please give a review give us uh, high marks that'd be awesome um, and if you've got a question, if you need something adjudicated, if you need Eric yes. to weigh in on yes. something, because Eric wants to, please, please send an email to GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. Again, that's GameMaster, all one word, at MasteringTheRPG.com. And we look forward to talking to you next time. And again, have a great games. Happy gaming. Happy gaming.